0: prohibited and we're basically trying to at least uh, um, eliminate the artificial congregation of deer so that deer can't pass it deer to deer if
1: there should be any
0: in the wild at that point
1: okay um you uh, a few years ago uh got a new deer plan in place um kind of lay that out for us uh, how it's gone so far with the new deer plan and, and what the uh what the goals are
0: well, I don't have it before me, Kevin, and so my memories would be a little foggy. But <laughs> basically, you know, we're working, we're working with um, you know, our Deer Advisory Council on that. There are a number of goals that uh, have basically told us how we're going to work with the deer in in the various areas of the state. We want to be able to communicate well what we're trying to do uh, with deer populations or our management. Uh, we had beginning to plan both spring and fall times where we have open houses. Uh, All of the wildlife areas, we're having open houses. But that's another thing that COVID has kind of uh, stopped for us. Uh, In lieu of that this year, we did have a webinar that people could sign up for and could participate in. And I think we probably had about 180 or so people at the webinar, I think, this year. That's something that I think we're going to have to investigate and we'll have to see how COVID goes along. But we're trying to maintain a healthy population, a, a population that fits goal, population that is useful for recreation, both both hunting and otherwise, in the state. And you know, I would recommend that if people have greater interest in that, uh, check out our DNR website. You can find the actual uh, plan there and uh, look at that. And if you have questions, give any of us at one of our wildlife offices, or call me up at the region, and and uh, we can talk about it.
1: Well, in addition to deer, you are the wildlife manager. There's a lot more of wildlife than than deer in the woods uh for certain uh we in fact uh had a bear season or is that still on i, I don't even remember the what the end date for that
0: well oh, yeah bear season closed October eighteenth okay. this year, and we had an outstanding bear season you did uh, over over thirty one hundred bear have been taken and uh I think you know it' function to a degree of the natural foods that are in the, in the woods in this year, there was somewhat a, an issue with acorns and acorns are exceptionally important to bear as they fall. And uh, the bear are trying to bulk up for the winter uh, season. So uh, a very good season for them about 3,100 uh, bear this year, or a little better than that. And uh, that's probably, it's not a record, but it's, uh, it certainly you'd have to go back several years before you would have, you would have seen that, you have seen that bettered. I would say.
1: Okay. So obviously the population seem very healthy right now. Seems pretty good, yeah. Okay. We're
0: looking at somewhere around you know, I don't know what the confidence interval, but probably fifteen thousand or are, are thereabouts. That's what I what I've been last told.
1: Okay. All right. And uh, we've had some uh, some waterfall seasons, we duck seasons on, goose seasons on. Um, how have those seasons been so far?
0: Well, you had to mention those, I suppose. <laughs> <And> I, I, <laughs> I, I tell you, um, for my own for my own health, I haven't had the ability to get out and, and take the duck hunts that I've needed. And uh, you know, this cold weather uh, has really uh, I moved ducks along. I would say we were doing just fine until it really hit, and uh, a lot of our shallow wetlands uh, froze up. Uh, and some of them are still some a lot of them are still froze um places like thief lake and Rose and some of those uh, larger you know congregations area that have shallow waters and are popular uh, waterfowl spots they're basically shut down right now because it's all ice um i would say that waterfowl season if you're a big lake hunter like leech or places like that um our big waters are going to be open and they probably are going to have uh, the later ducks coming in the divers and stuff like that probably still have a few mallards around and um Depending upon you know what the local goose uh, populations doing, there might be a few geese around as well. Uh, most of the places I've talked to north of here, north of Bemidji, have indicated that they had a lot of birds, and now they're gone uh, largely because of freeze-up. So I think that the northern part of the region has probably seen its best days for duck hunting, and probably the southern part still has several good ones to offer, and I think the rest of the southern part of the state probably likewise as well.
1: Okay. What about um, uh, the fall turkey hunt? What did you hear out there?
0: Well, fall turkey hunting is something that not a lot of people take advantage of. It's sort of a, a season that really doesn't get a lot of attention. The the fall turkey season um, uh, runs, uh, let's see, what is that date? I think it's October 3rd to November 1st this year, and you can take a turkey of either sex. You'd think, you know, with Thanksgiving come up, a person <laughs> would want to put a wild bird on the table would uh would have a really good chance of doing so if they were slow inclined, but we really just haven 't seen that many people take advantage of it uh, I know deer hunting wise uh it's pretty common for for you to see turkeys and and uh, enjoy them as they pass by your stand, but uh, not too many people take advantage of it
1: okay you know kind of we were talking before we uh, we started uh, recording here that it's just kind of been ironic in that. Uh, we had the, uh, it gets so cold so quick, and that really hampered duck season, and now as we're getting ready for deer season, we might lose our tracking snow by the time it gets here. <laughs> yeah, can you
0: can <laughs> you have it the way you want it, or not the way you want it, I guess you would say. But, yeah, it would have been nice to have had that nice snow that we had a week ago uh, for opener. Uh, most hunters would really appreciate that. I'm looking at my yard outside the midgey here, and I would say it's about half snow covered, and uh, the grass is showing through the rest of it and the leaves that I didn't rake this fall either <laughs> <laughs> right. because it was too early. But, uh, you know, I think our weather forecast, uh, you know, for these next few days are going to be in the 40s. I can't imagine the snow sticking around unless uh, we have another front or two come through and drop some snow and keep the temperatures down. Um, it's always good to have tracking snow on on uh, deer season. It's just more efficient for finding a deer and, and uh, uh, being able to deal with things. So.
1: Before we wrap it up, uh, in addition or besides uh, chronic wasting disease, which obviously is a big concern, anything else statewide or in the northwest region that uh, has got a little bit of concern as far as the deer populations go?
0: We do have a few places in the, north, the very far northeast part of the region, up in that uh, Badette and I Falls area. And, and you'll see this on the deer map if you, if you have it. We changed deer permit area boundaries, in particular 105. And in that area there, we have that area along Highway 11 that is agricultural in nature, and there's a lot of deer up there. In fact, people talk about it's not a good place to drive at night you know, because of the deer. But if you get a little further south of that, you get into the larger wooded areas of the state, the Tramory Island State Forest and uh, other lands like that. Up to this point, you know, we haven't been able to really fine-tune that area for harvest. Uh, This year, we changed the boundaries based upon the goal-setting process that we had back in January and February and extended that along that agricultural zone, so we're capturing that, and we made that intensive uh, so a person can harvest up to three deer if they want to. Mm -hmm. Just further south of that is still in that lottery area. So that's the area where there's more forested areas of the state. Our deer populations are not nearly as robust, and we're trying to provide them a little bit of protection from that standpoint. So that's a, a change we've had there If you go further uh, to the northwest up in Kitson County, you'll find that permit area 263 and 260 also had the same type of boundary change where we're trying to focus a little bit more on areas where there's higher deer populations, and the regulations really weren't available because of the deer permit area boundary to put the kind of pressure we need to keep the deer populations within goal. I, I don't see, Kevin, that there's any so far, any disease problems other than that Douglas County area that we talked about as far as CWD, um, and I hope and pray that it stays that way. Uh, we don't need another another positive in this state at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you said earlier, this is our number one uh, project for the, for the section. So um, other than that, I don't, I don't know of any particular problems. You know, I'm looking for a good deer season. I think our hunters are going to be pleased, uh, at least I hope so, and uh, we'll see how the season wraps up.
1: When you're planning, um, or not really planning, but but when you're looking at what it takes for a healthy deer population, what are some of the things we need as far as, you know, forested areas, woods, uh, food availability? How do you, uh, I don't know if there's a whole lot you can do, but, but what are some of those key things that help that deer population?
0: Well you know, um a good clue of that is if you look if you pull out that deer permit map that we have that comes with the hunting synopsis, you look on the back side of that and it shows you each of the deer permit areas and their various colors that indicate, you know, the harvest strategy in there. And you'll see that area that starts up from Kitson County and runs all the way towards the cities. And if you notice just southeast of that or southwest of that and south uh northeast of that, there's this band that goes right through kind of the center of the state. And you'll find that that's where all the intensive harvest and the the, uh, managed areas are are usually found. Uh, So it's that area of the the natural agricultural and and woods together that make the ideal deer hunting habitat. And, of course, you can have smaller areas of that, uh, you know, and areas outside of that area, too, uh, that would also serve that same purpose. But that ideal mix of forest and field and and agriculture and marsh, that seems to be a, a combo that really works well. So those are the type of things that I guess, you know, if you just look at that map, it becomes apparent for what you would see for very good deer habitat.
1: You know, you mentioned something that I think is a real interesting earlier. You know, um, you are, I I think by and large, most of us expect that that, uh, we're trying to make good hunting uh, habitat, good hunting experiences for people. But part of living in Minnesota is just having that family of deer that comes through your yard on a regular basis or those ducks that you see uh, on that pond as you're driving into work every day. Uh, Whether you hunt or not, good, strong populations of wildlife are really kind of part of life here.
0: It sure is. And, you know, Minnesota is blessed with uh, some of the best wildlife in in the country, you know. We even have elk to a small population in the northwest, and maybe someday we'll have them elsewhere that might, maybe could be a recreational source. And like you say, it's not just hunting. It's it's the enjoyment of that. One of the biggest activities that uh, people that aren't hunting enjoy is bird watching, and uh, that's that's a very big activity. Um, right now, you know, I've got my bird feeder out, but I'm having this battle with the squirrels, and uh, I'm about ready to find a white flag. They're winning pretty badly. <laughs>
1: So, I hear
0: that. That's a that's a major that's a major thing that people like to do: feed birds and just observe them. And gosh, you know, if we can find uh, deer and ducks and grouse and pheasants to look at, it just makes a day brighter, in my opinion. And it's not just the game species; it's uh, the hawks and the the other species that that we enjoy seeing uh, on a common basis. Loons, you know, couldn't be anything more Minnesota than that, right? Right, absolutely.
1: Now, does all of that non-game and game does that all fall under your purview, John? No,
0: um, there was a time when uh, non-game and end-game, if you want to call it that, were kind of one in our section, but they've actually split off. And equal, basically, our eco-ecological and, and water resources uh, division, uh, not division, but section, are, takes care of that. And we're spe- specifically uh, the wildlife portion of, of mainly wildlife species. But you know what? When we each manage our, in our various uh, global, uh, ranges of what we do, we're benefiting uh, game and non-game species. And that's the that's the basic tenet of any land management, that, that we're doing uh, good habitat management. And what's good for deer uh, might be good for grouse. What's good for ducks might be good for loons. You know, you can just make the the connection there that good habitat management is critical for good wildlife, just plain and simple.
1: It is all so interrelated. I think if he, that's the thing I find fascinating from an outsider perspective who really doesn't know a whole lot about it. Every time I read up on it or hear about it and learn about the the interconnectedness of the entire ecosystem, it's it's really amazing.
0: It really is. And you know, um, while we know a lot today, we don't know everything there is to know about it by any shade of the imagination. If a, if a person wanted to, they could probably go to a local library and pick up one of the journals of wildlife management, and you'd find things you'd never guess people are studying and finding finding out about. It's a It's a fascinating uh, field to to be in.
1: All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up here, John. Uh, Again, we're getting ready for the deer opener, uh, firearm deer opener. It sounds like populations are strong. Uh, Maybe the weather doesn't cooperate, but uh, it won't be for lack of deer if we don't have a great deer hunt this year. I think that's
0: true. You know, there's still some wild cards about the weather. Uh, Ice formation is one thing that can either be a problem or an asset, depending on how thick the ice is. Um, Snow or not, you know, it's hard to say. But I think the deer are there, and and, uh, if hunters will uh, provide a little bit of uh, planning ahead of time, I think they can ensure themselves of a a good hunt.
1: All right. John Williams is the Northwest Regional Wildlife Manager, talking about the upcoming deer opener. John, as always, we enjoy talking to you and appreciate the insight. And uh, when you get out there, good luck.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Kevin. Uh, Hopefully we'll all have a little good luck this year.
1: Later on in the show, Mike Stitsworth joins us, but first, Bryce Volbrecht, DNR Conservation Officer, rules to remember, safety tips to. That's next on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Once again, pleased to have Bryce Volbrecht join us. He's the DNR Conservation Officer here in Paul Bunyan Country. We're getting ready for the opening of deer hunting, so some things to cover. And first of all, Bryce, I think the first thing I need to cover, based on what I'm, you know, experiencing temperature-wise, do they make blaze orange flip-flops and shorts? <laughs> they definitely need that this weekend. Uh, it
2: looks like it's supposed to cool down a little bit, but... Uh... You know, I'm not complaining one bit about
1: the weather. I'm loving this stuff. Oh yeah, me too. I have no problems with it. Um, but certainly from a deer hunting standpoint, we always like that tracking snow and things of that nature. That's obviously not going to happen this year. Um, yep. is there an issue when, when we, you know, still have a lot of the color or at least the brown and, and no white contrast? Uh, uh is it tougher to be seen, you know, even with blaze when you're out in the, in the woods?
2: I don't think so. I think as long as they have good bright blaze orange or blaze pink, it's fine. Um, maybe if you get into some of those blaze orange jackets that have been in the family for the last 20, 30 years, they're starting to fade a little bit.
0: <clears throat>
2: then you might see some uh, issues seeing that. Okay. But overall, if you get the bright bright new blaze orange or keep, take care of it, keep out of the sunlight when it's not hunting season, I think you'll be able to see that just fine.
1: So blaze pink, that's a fairly new phenomenon. Um, How did that come about, and is that actually better? I think I've heard from some people they think it's better.
2: Uh, I don't know. I guess I've heard mixed results, too. Uh, I think you can see them both pretty well. And, again, as long as they're not faded by the sun or other elements, they're both pretty good to see out there.
1: Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about rules and regulations and uh, safety. Uh, First of all, let's talk safety. What is the, 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 the biggest bonehead thing you see from hunters every year that they really need to avoid?
2: Uh, just make sure your firearms are unloaded. Uh, we do get people that would like to road hunt and don't intentionally un- unload them, but other people forget or get busy and forget. And um, I know in, in the past we have had instances where there's been firearms go off in the trucks. Uh, be careful where you're leaning your gun when you're not hunting. If you're getting back to your truck, try to lay it down somewhere. Don't lean it up against the truck that, that's slippery metal. It's pretty easy for that gun to slide down and then forget about it or bang and knock your scope out of sight. So just being careful where you're, where you're placing your gun, making sure it's unloaded, before it's in the vehicle. And then one of the other biggest things is knowing what your target is and what's beyond that. You know, we don't want any rifle rounds flying where they shouldn't be or things being shot that shouldn't be shot. Okay.
1: You know, there's a lot of people who uh, who own property, you know, right next to state land, and I yeah. think it's very key to be very careful if you're hunting on state land to know exactly where you're at, right?
2: Yeah, get out there early and scout the area out. Make sure you know what's around you for buildings. Maybe somebody built this year that then there's a house or a shed of some type that wasn't there last year. Um, If you hear noise in the woods when you're out hunting this weekend, make sure you can identify that as a deer. With this beautiful weather we've been having, there's been uh, a large amount of people out in the woods and on the trails walking that typically wouldn't be out there if we were having colder weather. So keep that in mind. A lot of people are still out grouse hunting and watch your dogs and that type of stuff.
1: Okay. Um, Is it incumbent upon landowners to, to put signs up at their at the border of their property or not?
2: Yeah, so Minnesota um agricultural land does not have to be posted. And you can still not go on that. And ag land can be anything from plowed up grain fields to a uh, hay field, to uh, fenced in pasture and and stuff like that. Um other areas, wooded areas <clears throat> or non-agricultural has to be posted and the posted signs have to be signed by the landowner, um, with your name and phone number or also signature on there. Uh, and then they need to be posted at the corners of the property and any entrances into the property or every thousand feet in open areas or 500 feet in wooded or thicker brushy areas.
1: Okay. Got it. Um, so that's uh, some of the some of the base uh, things we need to know. I think the other thing obviously and you know people who've hunted for you know a family tradition probably know this stuff inside and out, but some people are yep. are new and I know this year I, I hear license sales are up so we might have some new uh, rookies out there. Um you yep. got to be very careful and you got to check the books and understand what zone you're in. There's a lot of zones in our region in our area and they all have their own set of rules, right?
2: Yep, as far as what they can take in those zones. Yep.
1: So you buy a license for a specific zone. You got to be aware of what it. Did. Some some can be you know either a a buck or a doe. Some are buck only. Some I think there's even some that might be more than one, one uh, tag available. Um, there's all kinds of yep. things depending on where you're hunting.
2: Yes, and and the easiest thing to do is go to any place where they sell licenses, and even a lot of gas stations that don't sell licenses. Uh, they have the, reg- the regulations book. Uh, make sure you get a 2020 regulation book, not a holdover from 2019. And in the middle of that, there's a nice fold-out colored map that pretty clearly shows what you can take for deer and in-, in what zone. And that's by far the easiest way to go about it.
1: And obviously that's something you need to study and be up on, too, I I imagine.
2: Yep, we take a look at that. And, um through our travels, getting into different zones, I always have that handy. So if I need to check something, I have it in my door. I can just pull it out really quick and look over things.
1: Okay. Now, I also know there's uh, there's some regulations as to when you can start hunting each day and when you have to be done hunting each day. What, what are the rules there?
2: Yep. So the, day, the actual time every day is going to change. And through our – we have a 16-day season up here. It's going to change about – Two minutes a day. Um, it's a half hour before sunrise, and then uh, the season goes till half hour after sunrise. So, again, the the regulations book has a sunrise sunset chart in it. A lot of people's smartphones now can just look it up on there. But make sure you're checking that every day. It's it's going to be changed in a minute to two minutes every day throughout the season.
1: Okay. So what is what is it that you find yourself doing? as a conservation officer during deer hunting season?
2: Um, It kind of just depends. Uh, A lot depends on the weather to see if people are going to sit longer. If it's really cold and crummy out, we get a lot more road hunting and shooting from the road, trespass complaints. So a lot depends on that and what comes in for calls, but I like to get out and visit with people, stop at deer camps and see how they're doing or if they're having issues with other people in the area um so i get i get out and make a lot of contact with different people in the area over the season and and then it all depends on what comes in for calls or complaints throughout the season
1: right and 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 if you witness something that you want to report uh tip line's probably the best way to go right
2: yep that's the easiest that's available 24 hours a day and then they'll they'll get it out to one of us in the field
1: okay about how many complaints do you have to respond to a year during deer hunting season
2: it, it just all, again, depends on the season. It's, it's Some seasons we can go from getting very few to no calls to uh, you're running constantly. And I don't know what does it, but uh, it just depends on the people. And like you said, there's a lot of licenses being sold this year. I don't know the exact numbers, but I've heard it's up significantly. So there will probably be a lot of new people out in the woods, and, and chances are we'll try get
0: calls for stuff.
1: Well, yeah, just because of new people and uh, and also <laughs> people spending more time probably hunting this year because, like we noted, it's going to be a lot more comfortable.
2: Yep, yeah, at least that first weekend and first part of the season. I don't know what the extended 15-day outlook is looking like right now, but the first part of the season should be pretty nice.
1: Okay. Uh, anything else you want to make sure we know about as we get ready for the weekend?
2: I don't think so. Just just be careful out there. Again, uh, identify what you're shooting at and, and what's beyond that target. If there's any uh, question as to whether it's private or public land, uh, get a plot book. Look on Onyx Hunt Maps. There's other hunting apps on your phone that'll show you who the property owner is. Um, be careful of some of the information you're getting on the hunting apps. Like the Onyx Hunt Map, for example, doesn't show where the Bemidji Game Refuge is and shows that that's closed, or the Schoolcraft Refuge south of town, those areas are both closed to rifle hunting. So just keep that in mind. We got a lot of complaints of that last year. People rifle hunting on the refuge, which is typically not open to gun hunting. So the archery hunters are getting surprises in their stands when they hear gunshots fairly close to them.
1: Sure. Yeah, I, that's that's a good point. I mean, people think it's public, public land, but it really isn't public land, um. I think it's owned by specific organizations, correct?
2: The refuges? Yeah. So the Bemidji, yeah, it's it's kind of a, a combination of everything. On the Bemidji Game Refuge, there's state land, there's county land, that would be tax-forfeited land, and then there's private land. So And then uh, some of it, even in the city limits of Bemidji.
1: All right. Again, you can start uh, hunting a half hour before sunset this upcoming Saturday morning. It's a 16-day season. Uh, Bryce Volbrecht is the is one of the uh, conservation officers here in Paul Bunyan country. It'll be a busy time for him. Uh, before we wrap it up, uh, Bryce, I'm going to shift over to fishing. Uh, i got to think with this weather that uh, we're back to seeing a lot of boats on the water or will be probably in the next week or two.
2: Yeah, actually this week it's been fairly busy with fishing. uh I think a lot of people there were winterizing their boats and getting things put away, and when the shoreline started to ice up, but now they're all starting to get them back out. Might as well take advantage of this nice weather, and the, and the fishing has been fairly decent.
1: Yeah, yeah, it has been, and, and obviously, it's just a beautiful day to be in a boat. It's almost like summertime again. It's hard to it's hard to believe.
2: It's pretty close, yeah. It's beautiful outside today.
1: <laughs> Bryce, thank you for your time today, and uh, stay safe yourself when you're out there this weekend and uh, for the entire season.
2: All right, thank you. Have a good day.
1: Well, you've shot your deer. Now what? Mike Stitzworth of Stitsworth Meat joins us next to talk about how to get that deer from the woods to processing, keeping it as clean and as fresh as possible. And we'll talk recipes, too. It's all coming up next on a deer hunting edition of Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, it's practically a state holiday. It's bigger than a lot of state holidays, really. It's opening deer hunting, and that's the focus of today's show. Now, you've got your deer. How do we keep that deer fresh? How do we prepare it when we get it home? We're talking with a master, Mike Stitzworth of Stitzworth Meats. Like most meat shops in northern Minnesota, uh, you guys have a lot of experience uh, processing deer, correct?
3: Yeah, yeah, we do... Uh... Anywhere from 5 to 600 on uh, the last few years, other than, you know, sometimes it dips down to around the 3 to 400 range. But, yeah, we do quite a few deer.
1: How about you? Are you a deer hunter?
3: I am when I, when I can, when I'm not cutting <laughs> other people's deer up. <laughs> uh, I, li- I like it. I don't get to do it a lot.
1: Right, it's certainly one of those uh, northern Minnesota traditions, of course, and, and it's it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of things that go into it. We spend a lot of money on ammo, we spend a lot of money on guns, we spend a lot of money on on uh, clothes to keep us warm. Although you know shorts and flip flops this year is probably what we're going to need. Uh, all those things we spend money on. So when it comes down to actually getting the deer, we want to make sure, Mike, right, that uh, that we have something good to eat, and that's why we're bringing you in today. Uh, to give us a guide on on what we should do, so let's just start. We've got the deer. We we we, we shot the deer. We found the deer. We're we're going to drag it out of the woods. What do we do to make sure we have a good tasting cut of venison or several cuts of venison once we're done with this whole process?
3: Well, a lot of times when you uh, when you get your deer, you're you're going to want to field dress it like fast as possible because. Uh, a lot of times, when you shoot a deer, it actually heats up. Especially, it's looking like it's going to be a fairly warm deer season now. Um, but you're going to want to field dress it as soon as possible, so you can start cooling that deer off. So that so the chest cavity's open with some air coming through it. Um, a lot of people, you know, the, when when you drag it out of the woods, either get it onto something like the back of a fourler rack or Uh, side-by-side if you can if you can't um, drag it head first out of the out of the woods if you can Um, that way you're not getting dirt into the into the chest cavity or between the legs Uh, that that's going to cut down on your yield on what you get back with your deer you're going to have a lot of uh, waste because we're going to have to trim off all the dirt Uh, we don't we don't wash your deer off we trim it off which is uh something that's standard in usda uh, you know, when you're processing beef and, and hogs, you trim off the contaminants versus washing it. Cause all you're doing is possibly spreading around the E. coli that could be in there. Um, and, you know, make sure that you, uh, you know, hate this, you, know, you want to make sure you get all the parts out, <laughs> you know, a lot of, I, I would say, uh, 50% lately have left the hind end in there. So that's uh, that contains E. coli. You want to get that out of there. Um, and then, yeah, keep it, keep it as clean as possible. Um, you know, if you, if you do a good job field dressing it and, and you, if you're conscious about how you drag it out of the woods, um, you really don't need to wash it out. Washing it out is something that I don't really care for when it comes in. Some people think they have to wash it out, and the hides full of water, and it drips. That dirty water drips into the into the meat when you're skinning it. Um, so, if you just keep it as clean as possible while you're taking it out of the woods, uh, so there's no need for any kind of washing or excess trimming. That's
1: huge. Okay, and, and when you say field dressing, I mean it's right there on the in the middle of the woods get as much of that stuff out of there as possible before you even move the deer, correct?
3: Right. Yep. Yep. If you can't, you know, some people will have to move it to a, a better location to do it. But, yeah, usually you want to do that right away.
1: Now, veteran hunters know how to do a lot of this stuff, but, you know, maybe uh, guys that are new to this or maybe somebody's just never really – learn much they learned it from grandpa and maybe they're not doing it quite right is there uh i remember presuming like everything else there's there's ways to find on the internet how to do this stuff
3: oh yeah there's hundreds of, there's probably thousands of youtube videos um and if you're not if you're not 100% don't don't be scared to ask somebody I mean just make sure you get it right because it makes our life easier and it makes you get more back for your money Um, just you know you think about all the ammo and everything that you spend on on deer hunting well anything you do uh the right way the correct way is going to decrease the cost per pound that you got into that meat
1: now um yeah that's that's all a very good point now we've we've got the field dressing as we noted and and you'd get it to camp uh i'm assuming the sooner it gets into Stitzworth's or, or wherever you might be taking that uh, to, to finish it off, the, the better, correct?
3: Yep, yep. And we and this year, uh, we actually have two uh, wild game trailers. One is just pure cold storage, and the other one we work in, we do all the, this, the processing in. Um, that way it keeps uh, the wild game from uh, cross-contaminating with our, our retail meat um okay. but yeah get it in there as soon as possible we're open from eight to six and we don't accept deer after hours which is fine because once it gets dark this time of year it's always cool enough it just needs to be below 40 if it's kind of dire straits, uh buy a 20 pound bag of ice and throw it in the chest cavity um and then you'll it'll be fine until the next morning
1: did you say you don't expect you don't accept deer or you don't accept beer after dark?
3: We did. We accept beer, but not deer. <laughs> okay, got
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We so, always accept beer. <laughs> <laughs> so those who are spending the weekend, you know, miles away in the family camp, um, what do you do if you, you know if you're not going to be able to get there for a day or two? Yeah, you you noted ice for one thing. I, I assume that's probably the best option
3: yeah if you can get it if you can get it hung up in a in a shaded area out of the sun um, hang them by the Achilles tendons so you just cut a hole in the in the hind leg where the where the Achilles is just cut a hole between the leg and the Achilles don't cut the Achilles otherwise it'll just fall down but hang it up in a in a shaded area and that's gonna be enough to keep it cool
1: um,
3: and if it like right now it's not gonna stay over 70 at night. But if it stays, if it gets below 40 all night, you're you're going to be okay if you keep it in the shade uh, for a couple days.
1: When we bring it in to you or to, you know, to a butcher of some sort, um, is there pretty much a standard uh, way of cutting it up, or do you take special orders? How does all yeah. that work?
3: Yep. Um, this, so we always guarantee everybody gets their own meat back at, at it, um apparently it's it's not the most common practice for for whatever reason for us it's easier to, to keep everybody separate but um when you drop it off we'll we'll talk to you about what you want and your standard cut is you get the steaks you know so you know out of your better steak meats and nine quarter out of the hind quarter so you get your steaks and then your chops out of the back straps and then roasts out of you know like A couple of the muscles in the hind quarter. Um, You you do a couple of roasts, so you you do steaks, chops, roasts, and then grind the rest of the trim and wrap it one pounder's uh, burger. That's your basic cut. That's kind of when somebody doesn't know what to what to ask for. um, That's usually what I tell them: is steaks, chops, roasts, and grind the burger. You get a lot of people that don't really care for uh, venison unless it's mixed with something um the burger i always recommend like a third 80 20 lean beef added in which we have as well um i actually i always recommend it because it it gets it stretches out your venison uh further so you get more you know you get more meat lasts you longer through the year um then you get the people that all they want is a sausage and what we do there is we just say bag all the trim because we don't actually uh, take venison orders until close to you know after Christmas time. That way our coolers, our freezers aren't full uh, or they don't get too full too quickly. Or uh, you know all the regular cut deer. Okay. But and then if you want to make your own jerky or anything else, you say hey save some save some meat for for jerky and we'll take the best cuts and bag those up slice them up for you and make them into jerky. Um, so it, it's really in what you want, but yeah, the standard cut is uh, bake, chops, roast and grind the trim into burger.
1: Are there a lot of people that uh, do their own uh, cutting up uh, that are well versed in that or do most people go to, to a guy like you?
3: Oh, I don't know what the stats would be. I bet you, I bet you there is a lot of people. Um, we do get a lot of people that start on their deer and decide they don't have enough time or they really don't know what they're doing. So <laughs> we get some that people started into it and, you know, pumped it and bring yeah. it in. So, yeah, I think there is a lot, but it's getting fewer and fewer. You know, I think people are, you know, for a hundred bucks, I think they'd rather just drop it off, let us deal with it, and uh, go back out hunting. Sure. Um, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not as big of an issue on, uh, Getting it cut up, especially when you when you talk about you know everything else you got into the whole experience. That's probably the cheapest part in the grand scheme of things.
1: For those who do like to do their own thing uh, and have given it a try, what seems to be the biggest mistake people make
3: when they do their own? Yeah, um, just breaking it down. Uh, a lot of people kind of make it a little harder than it really is when you break it down. You know, you, the easiest way to break it down, um, if you if you just you cut you you just open up the hind quarter and you go through the hip socket, detach the hind quarter, um, take the back strap off or the loin and the front shoulder off, and then on the inside you have the tenderloin on the inside of the spine. You take the tenderloins out, and that's where you'd start. You know, even if people say quarter to deer, well. Literally, uh, you don't quarter a deer by sawing it through the, the middle all the way down. You don't have to use a, a saw at all, actually. You just use your knife and you do it, I, you know, the way I just said, breaking down a deer. Um, that's going to be the best way to do it. It's going to save you a ton of time and hassle. Um, and then when you have your hind quarter and your front quarter off, you just you just bone them out. So. A lot of times, people think they have to take a sawzall or a, like a bow saw or something like that and start sawing through it and cutting it in half first. That actually causes you more time than it, than just breaking it down without a saw.
1: Okay. Now let's talk about preparation for for eating for a little bit because. Um, you know, you've got a you got a freezer full of deer and that's going to be a lot of uh, frustrating meals if you don't know how to <laughs> cook it right. And the right. one thing we hear about venison all the time, it's dry, it's dry, it's too dry. Obviously, they're very yeah. lean animals. They don't have the fat that some of the other, you know, like like uh, steak does or things like that. So, how do we uh, how do we battle that?
3: Um, you know, I I kind of, you know, some people enjoy the venison taste. Uh, I Don't mind it, but I'd rather have it in a roast or like as a, in a stew or something like that. So like the, like the back straps, I leave, I'll separate it in like thirds. So you have three nice roasts and I'll cook them as a roast so it stays more moist, um, versus just venison chops, my personal preference. Um, I'll take, I make, I like jerky and actually, you know, my dad and I, and some other people in the shop, uh, out of about anything, uh, wild rice and cheddar summer sausage out of venison, probably um, tastes better than normal summer sausage
1: really? for whatever
3: reason. Just the just the the whole combination of the the pork and the wild rice and cheddar and the venison in there has a good texture, and we all actually like it. Better than our normal summer sausage for whatever reason, but yeah i i like to I like to cook things in bigger pieces to uh, um, keep it more moist. Or um, I'll stew it up and make a venison stew, which I really like uh, because you get the flavor of the potatoes and onions and everything else in there. Um, yeah,
1: that sounds good.
3: Kind of my personal opinion. I mean, everybody kind of asks, not everybody, but a lot of a lot of different ways to cut a deer up. You know, people ask for all kinds of different things. So,
1: when, when you're preparing it, uh, and this is this goes for any you know anything you're grilling or, or or you know baking or whatever you're doing to a piece of meat, there's a there you know you got to be very careful to not overcook it. That's what makes it dry, and you yep. obviously don't want to undercook it either. So, you know, is there a is there a certain temp yeah, one for- venison needs to be at to be that at as moist as possible? Yeah,
3: 145. You don't have to worry about cooking venison all the way through. It's it's a wild animal, and it's not like it's subject to certain diseases like, like hogs used to be. But even, even with pork, they don't have to get it all the way up to 160 anymore. Um, that was kind of the old school method of cooking. You know, you had to cook everything well done to make sure it's safe to eat. Um, you know, it's not totally like that anymore. So, I cook it uh, between one forty one and one forty five and one fifty, somewhere in there. That way, um, it it has a lot of its moisture in it. You know, sure. you're you're using the moisture for the for the flavor versus having fat marbling like um, beef and pork would have.
1: Gotcha, Mike. When people uh...
3: Or bacon wrap, it. <laughs>
1: You know, you can never go wrong with baking wrapping anything, really. Oh uh, yeah, I like uh, that. Sounds really good. Um, so, if people are going out hunting and they plan on using you, do you like to get a word ahead of time, saying, "Hey, we're going out deer hunting this weekend. We'll be, we'll hopefully be in with a bunch of with a bunch of deer later on," or, or do they just do they just show up?
3: No, just show up in the hours, and we're ready for you. Uh, the phone's already ringing off the hook. So <laughs> yeah, there's somebody back there all day every day during deer season waiting for people to come in so yeah just show up with it drop it off and if you're not a hundred percent confident in your in your skinning skills we prefer you just to leave it hide on okay. um, i know you want to save a couple bucks taking the hide off but you're going to lose a lot of meat if you're if you're not the best at skinning a deer
1: okay so Field-dress it immediately. Make sure you keep the meat clean. Don't wash it. Those are three things that you, you mentioned at, at the top that uh, as, as people are getting it to your place that you really want to make sure they do, right? Great. Okay. Michael Stitsworth from Stitsworth Meats giving us some, uh, some tips on how to make sure we get the best tasting venison we can get uh, from the time we shoot the deer to the time we get it to the butcher. Mike, thank you for your time today. We really appreciate it.
3: Yeah, thank you very much.
1: That'll do it for Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Deer Hunting Edition. It's been sponsored by Clearbrook Electric, DS Beverages, your Anheuser-Busch distributor in Paul Bunyan Country, Ace on the Lake on Lake Bemidji's South Shore, Timberline Sports and Convenience in Black Duck, Pepsi Nye Bottling of Bemidji, and Bonded Lock and Key, your home for Liberty safes. Ladies and gentlemen, good luck this weekend. Have fun. Be safe.